So uh, trade tensions, the global pandemic's effect on supply chains and the war forcing governments and uh, to rethink their economic and security relationships, while at the same time uh, forcing companies to rethink uh, their supply chain strategies overall, and in particular as it relates to China, um, both from a manufacturing source and from an end market perspective. <clears throat> like, excuse me, uh, like the US addiction to cheap labor from China, uh, the EU was hooked on cheap natural gas from Europe, and that's created a, a bit of a problem that we're dealing with right now. The wars end, upended that relationship, and uh, I doubt that the high energy prices will be a temporary phenomenon. Um, so Europe now faces structurally higher import prices and the uh, fuel prices in the absence of Russian gas coming in at the same levels. So it's a clear sign the region needs to find new sources of competitive advantage or risks the deindustrialization of its uh, economy. I want to address the European industry and its opportunities and challenges in a separate briefing. Today, I want to put reshoring in perspective because there's been a lot of talk about U.S. reshoring and what's going on. I want to start by discussing a report from the Reshoring Initiative, which is a uh, nonprofit group founded by a gentleman by the name of Harry Moser back in 2010. He's worked in the uh, U.S. industrial sector for over 40 years. Um, it was designed for uh, to help manufacturers realize uh, that local production, in some cases, reduces the cost of total ownership, so the parts of uh, production that they thought were not being captured properly when we were outsourcing to China. Um, the initiative also trained suppliers on how to effectively meet the needs of their local customers, uh, giving suppliers tools on how to sell against lower price competitors. So that's really what, what they're about. I really want to get into uh, reshoring, but before I do, I just want to give a sense of where we are in the global economy, because we've had a lot of damage done, as you can see, uh, over the last two years, and now we're moving into what on global PMIs is a contractionary stage and looks like we're setting up for a global recession, which shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone, but it is a problem and it's something we're going to have to think about. But reshoring is a hot topic now. It's also um, other names. So nearshoring is when you put uh, uh, your manufacturing in countries that are close by, like China, like Mexico and Canada. You have uh, friend shoring, which is when you align with uh, like-minded nations. So for example, the US, Australia, and Japan, or the US and Europe, um, they're all kind of related, but they're somewhat different and they have different outcomes. But it's a hot topic because of what's going on with China um, and how it's been growing. And it became the hottest end market for a lot of people, but it also became the manufacturing hub for the world. And now the lockdowns, as well as the trade tensions of have changed that, but everyone's talking about in boardrooms about what are they doing about their supply chains. You're gonna hear more about intelligent supply chains in a minute, um, but reshoring is, is a big issue and it's a hot topic in boardrooms and corporations wanting to leave China might find it a little more difficult than they think for a lot of reasons. And let me give you a couple that particularly for smaller business they're gonna to have to keep in mind. One is labor contracts. Manufacturing workers in China typically have one to two year labor contracts which must be honored. So if you're pulling out, you have to fulfill the contracts for your manufacturing workers. Blueprints and molds that have been given to local manufacturers means that those businesses now have the knowledge 
and the molds even after the company leaves, which it will likely continue to use under a Chinese brand. It also uh, requires companies to know which equipment and uh, uh, that they're having, even down to the serial numbers, because if you're trying to leave after you announce to China you're going, um, you have to prove that that is your ownership. And if you don't have the serial numbers, they can contest it. So property can be left behind if you're trying to pull out. There are also contractual issues as to who owns the plant and equipment and uh, what the government will allow to be exported out in terms of plant and equipment. And finally, and not finally, but there are other issues, but one of the last main big points is the China Department of Commerce has guidelines for withdrawal, which includes meaning that you have to have all your debt covered, um, your back taxes paid, you have to inform creditors that you're closing, you have to clear all your debts, and you have to obtain permits to leave, which is gonna be a challenge if you're in a strategically vital industry to the Chinese government. So it's not as easy to just get up and leave, but companies are doing it, and they're doing it in a pretty meaningful way. This is a slide that shows you the new jobs coming from the rest of the world. And let, this year it's projected to be around 350,000 up from 6,000 in 2010. So a major change there. And what you can see is the job announcements for reshoring uh, as well as the companies that are bringing it. And what you're seeing is over 1,700 companies between reshoring and foreign direct investments are business coming here. The FDI is foreign companies bringing their business here and setting up plants. Um, this has been a big issue and you can see the, the change that's going on here and it's a pretty significant change. This is another way to look at it year by year and you can see how reshoring has really taken off starting with the trade uh, tensions between the Trump administration and China. But you can also see foreign direct investments picked up with the pandemic as people are really starting to think about the lockdowns in China and what it's doing to their supply chains and the shift from just in time to safe and secure manufacturing is underway here. And you can see that playing out. We've had a trend going on for some time where manufacturing jobs were lost back to the 90s. And you can see where um, the straight line is the trend line if the, change if the trend continued. You can see the break with the great financial crisis and you started to see a slowdown in manufacturing jobs leave. Um, and now it's kind of plateaued where we are in terms of the manufacturing employment. There are 800,000 open jobs in our manufacturing in the US today. Um, here are the reasons what's driving the ship. And um, obviously for the last year, social and ethical concerns uh, grew. Walmart was making some changes in their uh, supply chains and manufacturing. Uh, trends that are also increasing wages, inventory shifts and moving to just-in-time inventory, and the price of natural gas were part of it. You also saw uh, some changes, but the big issues really are about government incentives, uh, the availability of skilled labor and the training that it's going to take, and then the supply chain disruptions that were going on. And now you have other changes like the infrastructure bills and things coming in again, government incentives are behind it. So what's driving the ship? Other factors of geopolitics. We are moving into a very divided world, um, both politically and economically. Um, freight costs, pandemic shutdowns, and labor shortages are other factors that were driving the change. We haven't seen productivity improve, but we do expect that to pick up. Um, and now it's gonna be even a bigger issue as labor costs continue to rise. Cybersecurity, IP and energy security are other issues that are driving the changes 
as well as we are starting to really see the innovation in manufacturing really starting to pick up. And I would expect that productivity improvements are going to accelerate over the next couple of years as companies see labor, labor costs rising and the need to substitute capital for labor increasing very quickly. I mentioned government incentives and it's creating an issue between the EU and the US with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act favoring some US companies and, and rules that we would typically say criticize other countries for we actually put into the Inflation Reduction Act that's getting pushback from Europe right now. And if we're not careful, both the US and China and how we face off with our allies and uh, like-minded nations, we're gonna lose big opportunities. I think the, uh, the workforce availability will bring immigration back to the fore again. It is the biggest flaw, I think, in the US government policy that we have right now. And I suspect that over the next two years, you're going to start to see a greater demand from the public for um, policies over politics that are going to change the, uh, the scenario for people because we are facing uh, cost of living crises in many areas. I think the rise, uh, the focus on supply chains, the shift is going to be moving from uh, lowest cost to most trusted. And I think we found with uh, in Europe, the countries found that you can't trust the Russian energy supply chain now. So how do you deal with that? You can't trust the Russian energy oil. So I think that's a big change. Infrastructure spend around the world is going to be a big factor here. The other issue, though, is governments had limited bandwidth. And you already saw today Germany announced that they're stepping back from their pledge on the 2% or easing off their pledge for 2% of defense spending. I think that's a sign of the limited fiscal bandwidth when they need to increase their defense spending, but they have other challenges that are more immediate. So that's going to create some challenges that we see. I want to show you the industries that are most active, and it really is around the value chain and things that are, that are critically essential to uh, national security from a food, energy, and cyber and national defense perspective. So it's electronics and equipment around that which gets into the chips and, and areas that we know. It's chemicals that are absolutely essential for the production of some of the manufacturing that we're doing, but also for the food supplies that we have. It's computer electronics and the like and medical supplies. These are the areas that we're starting to see companies come back um, to the US in a big way. I think the medical supply one and particularly around uh, pharma is another area that we let a lot of our pharma move outside the U.S. because of ESG issues. I think that's still going to be another issue that we're going to see. The other issue that's really interesting is how companies are really focused on moving up the value chain and tech-related jobs. And that's big, been a big part of the push for reshoring. And we know we have uh, skilled shortages there in terms of engineering. I think this is going to be an area we're going to see continue to be a factor that's going on. So jobs are coming to the US, both with the US companies bring jobs back and foreign corporations bring them back. And here's where they're coming from. You can see the top list, North Korea, Vietnam, are areas that China already lost some of their business to, now moving up back here. I think this gets into the geopolitics in a big way. Um, I think there are some other issues at play here, but it's really interesting to see which countries are being most uh, hit by this. Um, and I think you're going to start to see a pickup in uh, European uh, companies as well. 
And this is for Jack Wyan, which he's been on. And, and we've talked about the Midwest is the best emerging market theme. And these are the states that benefited by it. And Kentucky at the top of the list, which we consider Cincinnati, Jack. Uh, and then uh, you have North Carolina, the South, and, and the Midwest really the big, being the big beneficiaries. And you just saw the uh, Taiwan semi announcement today where they're increasing their investment in Arizona. So that should again move up the list there as well with jobs coming in. And we expect this trend to continue. So some of the challenges with reshoring moving forward are going to be the ongoing supply chain disruptions. The big one is uh, skills and availability of labor. Um, we have to do a better job there. I think the other thing that's going on is you are seeing the growth of low-cost manufacturing alternatives to China, Mexico, and Southeast Asia being big areas of this that are going to benefit, and that's going to reorient supply chains as well. I think the relative inflation rates and the dollar strength will have impacts on how companies are thinking about where they move and what the outlooks are for their own country's economy and inflation rates. Um, other factors of national security, I think trust is going to be a much bigger issue. Uh, I think the uh, German government has found that out, that they thought they could have a trusting relationship to some degree with Russia, and that's been completely disrupted. I think people felt that way about China for a while when they were growing, and for the last several years, they felt less so I think there's also concerns about decoupling by China, not just from companies leaving China, but China decoupling as well. And I think uh, the Russian war has been a big part of that. So I think we're in a very interesting period now. I expect productivity to improve. I think this puts some framework around the numbers that we've talked about. I think there's a lot more coming. And I think the US could do a much better job of creating a more favorable environment to take a better advantage of this. I think the gov governments that are around the world that can look forward, have a longer term strategy and, and build a plan to really put their industrial sector on the right path are going to be the ones that win. I think we're going to have pretty significant labor cost issues that stay with us for some time because of the poor policies of governments around the world that we have uh, labor availability in economies that don't have the jobs and we have uh, jobs where they're not. And we could solve this pretty easily in the US if we had a reasonable immigration policy. I think that's going to be one of the big themes going forward that we talk about, as well as I think ESG is going to start evolving uh, very rapidly next year. And the issues and how this plays in both impact and ESG will be very different as we see going forward. So there's a lot of shifting going on. I think the big areas to watch are uh, the European and Chinese industrial sec segments and how that relates to the U.S. Uh, um, as a beneficiary, I think we're really the best house in a bad neighborhood right now. Not that I'm uh, wildly optimistic about the global economy, but I do think there are a number of areas you're gonna make money in next year from some of these shortages and some of the problems that exist today. So Mark, I'm gonna stop there and open it up for discussion. Hey, Stephen, I got a question. Um, have, have you, all the things you're citing here seem like they're favoring growth in the U.S. relative to the rest of the world. So two questions. I'm sort of surprised where the jobs are coming from. I would have thought it would have all been China or something. And you've got like six other countries where it seems to be affecting them more. 
And so I'm wondering why that is. And secondarily, is there a way to model this? To, and I mean, is the magnitude of this big enough to add some number to GDP? Um, or is it just sort of a, you know, put your finger up in the air and what's it feel like? No, I think this is a, I think the way to look at this is the start of a longer term trend, not an event. And I think that's the way companies and industries are looking at it. You're, you're reorienting supply chains, you're reorienting the manufacturing processes. At the same time, we're going through another round of globalization and another wave of industrialization. So I think you're looking at kind of three waves hitting at once. You have a new geopolitical norm. You have a different cost of living outlook around the world where prices everywhere are gonna be higher going forward. And then you have this um, reindustrialization going on. And that's really creating massive change, Duncan, that's gonna evolve over the next several years. So I think you really wanna follow the trends more so than put a stake in the ground and say, um, this happened, so X is gonna automatically move GDP in the US because we solved the problem with 800,000 manufacturing jobs. Mm -hmm. You have to get them, you have to move the business here, you have to set up the plants and equipment, and then you have to staff them, and then you have to get the production going. So I think the unfortunate part of this is uh, all this is near-term inflationary when we're trying to reduce costs. So you get an offset to the growth numbers that you're looking at. Notwithstanding what this is going to do the dollar and then global trade and, and all those the volatility of, of you know, in foreign countries. I mean, Europe is screwed. And yeah, we're the least dirty shirt for the near term and the long term, probably the most vibrant. Yeah, I do think the positive, Joe, is that the dollar is easing because it feels like the Fed's getting closer to peak rates. Not that they're going to bring them down, but we'll be probably in the 5% range where the rest of the world will still need to continue to increase rates to deal with their inflation, particularly Europe. So that shift in rates will actually reduce the dollar strength relative to other, other opportunities. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts. So I, I think we're going to be in a more of a muddle through with pockets of real opportunity as the way we have to look at it. Not that um, everything wins here. It's not gonna be because manufacturing is coming back all of a sudden we're gonna be in a really um, much better place. And I think with the, um, Timo, I think you're bringing up a point about the cost uh, shifts that are going on. And what the Reshoring Institute's trying to highlight is we don't capture all the costs right in the way we're, we've been looking at it in the past. Um, and I think when, they, when you do the math for all the inputs, um, a lot of companies are going to find that we gave away a lot to China for no good reason. Hey, Steve, um, I've been aware of a lot of the underlying trends that kind of form the pillars of what you just talked about for a couple of years. And um, it, it can't be that I'm that much smarter than everybody. I know that's not it. But so has something changed where suddenly this kind of, you know, flashes on your screen and you decide you have to, you know, you, you, this is something you, you kind of want to highlight for all of us? Yeah, when you go from 6,000 jobs in 2010 to 350,000 jobs in 2022, that's a major change. And, and I think what's been going on, um, Tim, is I think this goes back to uh, the Trump administration. And when we really decided to put the screws to China once and for all, I think that changed everything. And, 
and then companies really had to take seriously what was going on. And then you pile onto that, the pandemic, and they found that they were completely beholden to a system of, manuf of industrialization that doesn't work anymore. So, you know, what? one of the things when we talk about these changes, because I started talking about um, layoffs in the US in, in June when it was only 110 companies, but the trend was moving up very quickly. So it's the rate of change that I'm focused on, and it really jumped in the last three years. Okay. And I expect it to continue. I have another question, if I may. Yep. Um, and I could probably look this up, but there are a bunch of smart people on this call, so it saves me time. Um, do you think there, is there truly like an engineering shortage here in the States, or is it more the H-1 visa program is a great way to get cheap labor into these into these tech companies. I mean, it just, it, it's, it's, I've read more about this H1B stuff and you have to lock in if you're, if you come in under that program. And then even if you change companies thereafter, there are sort of penalties for the person coming in. So you, you kind of have whoever comes in for the job. Yeah, we got two minutes. I got Steve, want to react to that? Yeah, I think, I think Tim, the, um, I'm trying to think the best way to answer this one for you. Um, Uh, I'd argue that there's always a deficit of engineering talent. Yeah, I, I think I think without getting into it, the um, globally there's a shortage of, of tech talent. Um, I think it's been a shortage in the tech industry, but it's been really a shortage in industrial America and corporate America that we have to fix and we have to change our immigration policy um, in a major way. And we could do it very quickly, but it's not just for tech labor. We need farm labor too. And we could fix both easily. And people want to come here. Canada has a much better policy. They have closed borders and a much better policy. We could follow a million different policies and do a much better job there. But there are definitely skill gaps, and it's policy driven. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Stephen? Hey, I've got a quick question about your comments related to trust. Yep. and what you look at as resources. I recall um, early 2019, NYU did a trust marketing sort of integrated communications seminar. Um, and I looked to Edelman as an example for their annual barometer, um, but I'm curious what you look at for your resources on, on your comments about trust. When I'm talking about trust, I'm talking about your ability to trust your suppliers and allies or partners in the deal. Europe was counting on Russia to be a trusted partner to deliver energy for them, and they violated that trust. Um, you could, some people could say the U.S. is violating the trust with Europe by putting a different uh, credit for EVs manufactured in the U.S. by U.S. labor than they would by uh, a German manufacturer, for example. So when you have policies like that, that violates the trust. So I really look at the policies um, and the reactions to the policies more than the numbers. I think you're you're thinking of uh, trusted advisors and things like that. I'm looking at more the trust between um, contracts and partnerships. That helps, Leslie. Thanks. Sorry, Mark. <clears throat> we could go all day. I'm happy.
So no, I, I just wanted to, we're gonna switch gears here momentarily. Um, any last question to, uh, to Stephen before we move on to a related topic of supply change uh, relating to uh, injection of AI? Maybe a, a, a quickie and sort of following on, on something that, that Joe mentioned just a little bit. With all this reshoring, it seems as though that that would, that would tend to put more strength under the dollar at the margin because clearly a high dollar is going to encourage more, you know, more manufacturing to come, come over to the U.S. because it's at a cost advantage relative to local currency. And then, if, especially if you have non-U.S. companies putting in U.S. facilities, then, you know, it, it's, it's further, further strengthening and they would need to purchase dollars in order to, you know, pay for all the bills and things like that. I don't know. Just a thought. There, there are definitely offsets to the dollar strength and dollar weakness that are going on right now. I think the big driver for the dollar will be interest rate policy first and foremost, because this is happening in drips and dribbles over the year. I and mean, you think about it, 350,000 jobs out of 168 million jobs is, it's a number, but it's not as big a number that would move the needle on the dollar, I don't believe. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't see, I don't see reshoring keeping the dollar at 106 or 110. Many things make this, sorry. So, no. No, we're gonna, but just just as like like an incremental flourish, you know, yeah. type of, of force. Yeah. The other thing is, I don't think corporations are going to be making their capital decisions about where they're going to have their manufacturing capabilities based on where the dollar is right now. Right. They would do it much, on a much longer term view. Yep. Agreed. There. 